God's Word to Colossians 1. That's where we will uh, be, as Angie read, and we've just prayed. So we've already practiced it. We could just go home, right? Yes, and then no. Um, <laughs> this time of year, many of us uh, are in that mode, concerned about maybe losing a few LBs, losing a little bit of weight. That's the opposite in our um, family, at least the younger side. They're about gains. Uh, but old buddy up here is more about the let's do go on the uh, let's lose a little. But our passage today gives us a prayer that is a weighty prayer. In fact, it's Paul's purpose in this prayer about gaining weight or at least being of equal weight with what he's after in the Colossians' lives. And he's after this because Epaphras, if you, don't, if you weren't here last week, Epaphras, who's earlier in chapter 1, has come from Colossae to visit Paul in prison and Roman imprisonment. Paul has never met at least most of, if not all, he's not met the Colossians. And yet Epaphras, who had come to faith in Christ, probably through Paul's ministry in Ephesus, come to faith in Christ, had gone back to Colossae, shared the gospel, and it began to spread. People who came to faith in Christ, uh, both there and in Laodicea and Hierapolis in what's called the Lycus Valley. Epaphras was kind of became the, well, I shared Christ, now I guess I've, I'm caring for these people, shepherding these people. But he's got concerns that they are in the midst of a lot of mixed and conflicting messages. That they're being told, hey, that was great that you started with Jesus, but now you need to move on to something that's a, a lot more. And, you know, we have that feeling during this time of year, not only thinking about losing weight, but what's going to be, um, you know, new this year. And often we can feel like in our day, we can feel like there's something missing. I'm just lacking something. Um, something feels off or incomplete. Um, it goes for, um, from every age. It, it shows up in our dreams. Um, and some of you still have this, and, and you, you might be like decades away from when you were last in school, but you still have this dream where it's getting close to the first day of class or first day of school, and you realize there's something missing. And that something missing is that which covers you, and you may be in your dream, which has become a nightmare, showing up in your unmentionables, if you will, which I'm not supposed to mention right now. But you might be having that kind of nightmare, or you may not be, might not be, may not be a school one, but you've had this thing at work, and there's this big presentation, and we gotta, we, we got to get this client, and you've got the presentation, but in your dream, all of a sudden, you have shown up to the meeting with no laptop, no notes, and, and even the documents that if they were going to sign on the, you know, go with the contract, and your dream is like, and you wake up in a cold sweat, right? There's something missing. There's something majorly lacking. And it's a, a, a almost paralyzing fear that we can wake up with. Well, as I said, Paul is addressing people who even if they'd come, and they'd come to Christ and they were, there was a fruitfulness. He says in verses one, uh, three through eight in chapter one, we give thanks to God, praying you know, always for you because of the faith we hear you have in the uh, Lord Jesus and for the love that you have for all the saints and this gospel that you're also now spreading is it's bearing fruit and increasing. It's going through that known area. And yet they're also getting these little messages saying there's something missing. 
There's something lacking. You don't have quite the fullness. You don't have the completeness. That's great. You started with Jesus, but there's some kind of secret stuff you need to get in on. There's some knowledge that, that you don't have that you kind of have to come in through the door and, and, and then eventually you can get it. So basically, you're lacking a lot. And Jesus isn't enough. And Paul writes this letter because he's going to jackhammer that by saying, here is Jesus Christ in his supremacy and all sufficiency. You have been made complete in him and he's in the process of making you complete in him, making us like him. And so it's not that you lack all these things that they're trying to get you you know, to buy in on or think, man, my life would be a lot better if I moved into that. And the same in our world, we face it where it's like, it's one click away until your life will be complete. And Paul is hammering, he's going to hammer, but before he hammers, he wants to genuinely thank God, which is what he did in last week's passage, thank God for their faith in Jesus and their love for the saints and how the gospel is going forward through them. And then today, he's going to pray specifically, and he's going to use a lot of the words that the false teachers with these conflicting messages that were knocking the slats out from underneath them, he's going to even use their own language that they borrowed from the Christians, and he's going to say, let me tell you about true knowledge. Let me tell you about fullness and sufficiency, and let me tell you why I'm praying this and what I'm praying for. And so I call this message uh, a weighty prayer for a worthy walk. I'll talk more about why am I talking about weight gain in just a minute. Um, this is not giving us permission to all go down to Max's and eat a dozen. That's, just, that's not what it is. But first, let's look at the weighty prayer, just verse 9. It's what we just prayed uh, for Angie together. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's saying, I'm praying and I'm asking, same thing. I, I'm going before the Lord and I'm going before the Lord on your behalf because I'm after something. And what I'm after is that you would be filled. There's the word, fullness, filled. You'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then he'll tell them how they would be filled with the knowledge of his. This is what Paul is after. It's a weighty. This isn't a uh, Lord be with them, Lord help them. Okay, that's not necessarily bad, but there's not a lot of weight to that. In fact, often we can be very generic in our prayers because we're, we're kind of not dialed in, actually. And Paul's like, oh, I'm dialed in. And, and he's going to bring weightiness to his prayer. He says, what I want is for you to be filled. You're being told you need to get this filling over here. He's like, that's, that's worthless carbs. You need the filling with knowledge, the true knowledge of God's will. When he uses the word filling, there's actually kind of three ways that this word filling can mean. And you will see this as we go through Colossians. He'll talk about in him as all, all the fullness of deity dwells. He uses fullness, completeness a, completeness, a bunch. So he, as Paul often does, he's praying toward what he's going to get to in terms of his exhortation or challenge. But filling, it can mean, it really means to overflow. There's such a, a knowledge of, of God that you are gaining that you can't, it's, it's overflowing. 
Uh, but, but it can mean to fill up a deficiency. It can mean there is a deficiency and you don't have it yet. And all of us, if we think about it, are not complete. Why? Because we're not infinite. So I don't know God as completely as I could know God. Yet I am completely known by him. And he has revealed himself. And it's just growing in that. And so to fill up a deficiency. The second way this word is used often is to fully possess or influence or control. So I want you to be filled so much that you're influenced by this knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God's will. I want it to to possess and influence or control you. We use this when we say, man, I I was filled with fear when I realized that I was in line and I can't get out of it and I'm about to go, um, you know, on the roller coaster that goes straight down. And I got to the roller coaster going, I was filled with fear. That means I'm, I'm totally, it is all consuming. Another way, um, another way that this um, word can be used is the, the idea that um, it, it, it begins to pervade. So like um, if you light a, a good candle, it's nothing at first, and then all of a sudden it, it begins to move out. Like, like Paul talks about, um, that, that Christ's death, it's, it's, a, it's a fragrant aroma to those who believe in him, and it's a stench to those who would reject him. That's the idea. He, want, he wants it to be so overflowing, so influencing, and so pervasive, like a fragrance, that it won't just be book knowledge. It won't just be stuff I know about Jesus. Now, it's good to know stuff about Jesus, and it's particularly good to know his word. That is where the filling is going to come from, is as he's revealed himself in Scripture, and as Paul will get to, especially next week, it's chocked full. You want to know Jesus? Here's who he is. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn from the dead, as, we, as David talked about, not only the cross, but he raised from the dead to be the firstborn of the new creation. And he has done all he's done to reconcile us to God. On and on and on. We'll see a little bit of it today. He says, I want that to be filling you to where then your life, being so filled, will overflow with the fragrance where it is evident that, that Jesus is on display. Well, how do we gain that knowledge of his will? Well, he says two ways. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, says, I pray that you'd be filled with that kind of knowledge of God's will. How? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is probably capital S, spiritual, that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and understanding. Very quick, you may know this. Knowledge is um, here is not just book stuff, knowing facts, but it's also knowing it uh, as you walk it out in life. So it's fuller in that way. But also wisdom is, what do you do with what you know? And if you know this, how is that getting played out? How is that getting lived out in my life and your life on a day-to-day basis? And that's what wisdom is. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs is chock full with wisdom. What wisdom is, is knowing how to take the stuff you know or learned or has been stuffed into you and practically navigate God's world in God's way. And then understanding, this is a cool word. It means uh, to unite or to bring together. Think of two rivers, two massive rivers 
that at some point come together. And the, the confluence and the surge, they come together and it's, it's powerful. And understanding is the ability to take what you know and kind of the how-to and then go, in this specific situation, how can these things be brought together so that I'm guided, so, so that I'm operating within the way God would want me to, but let me be able to put this together. Understanding is to make sense of it. We can know stuff. We can know God is sovereign and, and get hit straight on with a really difficult time and go, how do I put these together? Understanding is putting these together. Understanding is when your spouse says something and you say, now, instead of going, here's my assumption, and oh, well, here's what you really mean, is to say, well, well, what I hear you saying is this. Is that right? Now there's understanding. The other way, guys, I'll just say to guys, you're going to be in the wrong. Understanding is when the two can be united and come together, and it makes sense. So he says, I want your life to make sense, but I want that sense to be oriented because you have come to a knowledge of God's will, received the Spirit's giving you wisdom to navigate life, and to be able to, as you engage or be confronted by difficult, confounding, draining, confusing situation, you can make sense of it. I heard somebody say this week that confusion is a word that, uh, um, confusing or confusion is a word we've made up in order to basically um, describe an order that exists that we don't yet understand. What he's really saying there is, there is order, and God is the orderer. We just may not be able to make sense of it all yet. And Paul says, I want that kind of life for you. I want you to be filled with his will so that you might walk in a manner worthy of him. Well, that's what he prays for. He says, I am praying this for you. Why? The next slide. Because he wants us to have a worthy walk. This is the, the weight gain thing. He says, so that. I pray these things for you so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Think of that as to please him in every situation, to please him in every environment, to please him when, it, when you feel like it and when you don't. He says, I want you to have that kind of navigating ability. When you have the wisdom and understanding and knowing of who God is and that God is with you in it, so that whatever the situation is, you will please him in that situation, attitude-wise, action-wise. He says, this is the so that. This is the purpose of Paul's weighty prayer that they would have a worthy walk. Now, why do I say this about the weight? Well, when, when he says worthy, the word there, it has the idea of um, carrying weight having an equal weight. Think of if you have two scales and, and one has a big boulder here and then you put a couple pebbles right here, it doesn't really do it. The, the word here is, is this balances out or it's consistent with. What he's saying is, I want you to be so filled with God's will and understanding how to navigate life and who he is with you in whatever situation that your walk your lifestyle, your conduct would be that which is aligned with him, that would be like him. If he were walking into this situation, what it would be like. 
I showed you this before with my dad and uh, not my brother, I don't think. Uh, I don't think we were all here at the same time. But I've walked across the stage this way, embarrassed my dad, because if you watch us walk, you'll be like, they both waddle. And it's not that great of a walk. But you're like, unmistakably, he came from him. That's what he's saying. Let our lives be of equal weight. Let our lives be that which I can tell that you're a little him. And the standard is in a manner worthy of the Lord, in a like-weightedness of the Lord. How Jesus would handle a situation when he is being mocked. David mentioned it. People, as Jesus on the cross, he's being mocked. And what does he pray? Say it out loud. What does he pray about the people mocking him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, if we're to walk in a manner of equal weight with him, you're mocked at work. Now, you don't need to all of a sudden stretch out your hands and be cruciformed in that moment like that. You probably don't need to say it out loud. But you might whisper in your heart, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And help me in my heart forgive them so that in this moment, though I'd rather just go off on them, I'd rather slander them at the water cooler later, I'd rather cause others to think less of them in a moment I can capture, but I know to walk like you would walk, forgive them, for they don't know what they do and to not retaliate when they are after us. And so he says, that's what I want. I want you to know God's will so much that you will walk it out of equal weight with him. Therefore, it's a worthy walk. It is Christ-like. Now, I want to say this. I'm going to say it at the end as well. Um, I think we, when we talk about being filled with God's will, we begin to think of three things. Um, where do I go to college? Who am I going to marry? And what is my job, my career going to be? That's how we typically think of it. Now, nothing wrong with that. But there's not a verse on any of those three things for you. There's plenty of God's will that is very plain on the page, that he's been very plain both in how Jesus lived it, what he taught, what the apostles taught. There's a lot of God's will that we can know. But we tend to say, well, I want to um, K-N-O-W, his will, Nothing wrong with it. Seek his will, seek his direction, seek understanding in the moment. But we often make that the end goal. And what Paul's praying for here in, in, in the context of knowing his will, knowing his will is not the end goal. It's actually the avenue down which we are to walk. Let me say that again. When he says walk in a manner, and I need to say this, sorry. Some of your translations say live in a way worthy that's fine as you stack days it'll be your lifestyle and how you live yes but i like that it's walk because that is actually the actual greek verb here is to walk which talks about a journey which talks about stepping in the right direction and when i'm not i need to repent and change direction and i need to take step after step after step so that's what he's calling them to is to step in the direction of what we know. So I will tell you this, knowing God's will, as much as I've prayed with folks about it or they've come to me, I just don't know if I know God's will. Here's my statement to you. Knowing God's will is much more in the going than the knowing. We think, well, um, it's an N-O, don't do anything 
until I've gotten the, you know, the plane flies by with the thing or the blimp and it has a whatever. And until I know, no, 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 no. And especially I would say to the younger generation, our world has set you up poorly for living life, particularly when it comes to making decisions, because we've told you, we can make this foolproof for you. On this dating website, if you'll fill this out, we'll match you with a perfect profile, but don't take a step until we've got the ironclad guaranteed thing. It's not true. You can't, it's still two human beings eventually, and hopefully we never get to the other weirdo stuff that's probably coming. But, but knowing if that's the one of the questions, well, who should I marry or whatever, like it's more in the going. Like if, if, it's, not, if it's not out of bounds and you're in your, what I would tell you is obey what you do know and what he has revealed in scripture and let the, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. The steps you need to take, you take him and he'll redirect. So it's much more in the going than the knowing. So I want to say that because I think we tend to go, I just want to know his will, and I need to know it for sure, and then I'll take a step. I'm, we should be wise. We should pray. We should seek the counsel of all others. I'm not saying being, being reckless, but I am saying don't get so locked down when God's already given us plenty to live out and trust him with some of those things that he doesn't give you a verse for, but he has given you a community in the body of Christ. And he's given you your word, which has plenty, his word, which has plenty of wisdom. All right, so what does this worthy walk look like? He gives us four marks. I'm going to kind of go through these somewhat fast. First, it's uh, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. What's that look like? Well, it looks like bearing fruit in every good work. So Paul says, I don't want you to just know some stuff. I want that knowledge to translate out into your walk and into your work. And he says, there are, there's good work that God's already made clear. Go and make disciples. Love me. Love your neighbor. Plenty of stuff to be about. And as we go about that, as we're doing so, walking in his will and his spirit giving that leading and guiding and understanding, he says, I want that to, to then ripple out. That weighty walk, that worthy walk will be marked by there is fruit being born through our lives as the spirit gives instruction, direction, power, gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness in every situation. And so that's one way in which our walk can be worthy or of equal weight with the Lord. The second one, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, this, this is the idea that, that we might, we, we know him, but because he's infinite and we are finite and limited, we can always grow to know him. We can always grow in intimacy with him. We can always rehearse the intimacy that he's invited us into. We, we talked about this last year, um, and we will talk about it again moving forward this year, but practicing his withness and his way. And in so doing, we become more in, um, intimate with the infinite one. And as we do that, we'll begin to walk in a manner worthy and bear fruit in every good work. And then strangely, as we do that, we seem to also begin to know him more. And then we're like, as we know him more, I just want to give this area of my life over that I didn't realize I was holding on to. And we can be increasing in our knowledge of him. I want to say this, and then I'm going to move on to the next one. 
if you ask me to pray for you about something, I will pray. Occasionally, let's just say 2 to 5%, I end up being a liar because I forgot. But generally, I'm decent about it. <laughs> um, I will pray for you, and I will often pray for you, Colossians 1, 9 to 12. Because what I want you to note, and when we think about our own prayers, Paul doesn't pray, get him out of the circumstance. He doesn't pray, smite the false teachers. What he prays for, in the midst of where they are, fill them with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that they would walk in a manner worthy of you. They please you in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in their knowledge of you. So take a dilemma that you're, you're deliberating. You're like, what do I do? This decision is so huge. Or take um, something where the doctor's report came back or, or the layoff, um, you know, it's starting to ripple through the hallways at work that layoffs are looming or there's a breakup that you have just endured. How in the midst of that, why I pray this, is because in the midst of it, if we will trust Lord, the Lord when it's painful, when it's confusing, we will just cling to him and say, I'm going to take you at your word even though I don't see it. And part of me wants to say, no way, you can't, you can't have my trust right now that in the midst of clinging to him, he would increase your knowledge of him, your knowing of him intimately. That you might say, actually, his consolations do delight the soul, even though my circumstances didn't change squat. That's really bad grammar, but you get what I'm saying. And so that's what I would pray for you. And then the third mark, this isn't going to be in our strength. This isn't pull your bootstraps up and you just suck it up, soldier. This is, you can, uh, and I can only do this, being strengthened by his power. And the result of that will be that we can endure or be steadfast, stick with it, stay at it. That's what the Greek term means, to remain under. When the fire gets up or it's tough, we remain. And patience. The endurance is, is kind of that idea of staying at it amidst the hard, as I was just talking about, those the doctor reports or whatnot. And patience probably has the texture of God enabling us to, to not give up on people, though they hurt us, irritate us, annoy us. And even with the Spirit's power and strength, being able to resist the urge to cancel them, to retaliate against them, that's patience. My friend Cole... Um, he defines patience as uh, bearing the burden of hoping. Like, there's a hope, but man, that hope seems to be dimming. <laughs> you know, or the hope of this friendship being so enriching and robust, and we'll just be lifelong friends and whatever, you know, and oh man, you really wronged me. And patience is bearing the burden of hoping. Bearing the burden of, I'm going to put my hope in you, God. I'm not going to try to retaliate, feeling justified, I'm going to let you handle it. Or in this situation that seems daunting and the decision is looming, I'm going to trust you to provide what I need to walk worthy of you. The last one, um, it's end of verse 11, it probably should be squeezed in verse 12, but it doesn't really matter, is that we would joyously give thanks to the Father. That a ripple effect of Him filling us with the knowledge of His will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and beginning to walk in this worthy manner with Him, and, a, and of equal weight with him, like him, if you will, that a ripple effect, will, our lives will be filled with joy, even if the circumstances don't change. 
and we give thanks to the Father. The Father who we keep entrusting ourselves to no matter change or not change. And it, that ripple effect is, thank you, Lord, that you're with me. Thank you that I have another day. Thank you that even though this worries me or I've been wounded or whatever, I know you're with me. And I know that you have purposes and plans for me that I can't make sense of right now, but I'm going to come to you today, and I'm thankful. Have you ever seen that in somebody? Like, they're going through the worst time ever, and there's a joy, and it's not fake. It's a mark of a worthy walk. That worthy walk doesn't come in their own strength. I'm going to be joyful. Right? I think we can read steadfastness and patience and go, that's gritting my teeth and make it through. It's like, no, it actually also has joy tinging it and joy giving it. Uh, giving the person buoyancy. And so those are the four uh, marks. He says, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, the next slide. Why? Because he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. And then verse 14 is what we rehearsed in the Lord's Supper. For he rescued us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Two things really quickly. The Father qualified us. One of the things I said, the false teacher saying, hey, he's not enough. You're not enough. You're still lacking. Paul is using the idea of qualified, which part of what that word can mean is he fit us for this. He made us sufficient for it. When you're qualified or not qualified for a loan or a job, you, you've, he's fit you for it. And we don't have any business being in right relationship with God but he's the one who qualified. It's never, will God sort of help me at the end? Or No, he did it all. And notice it's in past tense. He qualified us. But that qualification both um, made, made, you know, made qualified, but now we also look toward, we have a share in his kingdom already, and we look for the full, fuller expression of that with the saints in light. And then it's what we rehearsed, that what he did also, look at the past tense. He rescued us. He transferred us. That's a done deal. But then in, in present tense, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption. The idea is going into a slave market and buying a slave out and then freeing them. We have been rescued. We have been transferred. And because of that, we have redemption. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify him in every way. And we are able to do that because of Jesus's finished work and his redemptive work in our lives. So here's my questions as we're getting to a close. Do these marks of a worthy walk mark you? Nobody does it perfectly. But do they, do they mark you? How could they? Is there some, some aspect which God says your next step today is to simply take what we've walked through here and go, Joyously giving thanks isn't marking you right now. Or you've been trying to do it in your own strength and you need to rely again on my strength. Or you are kind of walking through life at this, this is shiny, this is shiny, and, and I just want to bring you back to seek me for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to walk in the life that I have for you, that I purchased you for. And then, do you pray like this? Uh, again, I, I think we try to do a decent job of this in life groups or wherever it might be occasions to pray. One of the things we get really bad about, though, in Christian circles is we spend an hour um, praying for 
Aunt Matilda out there that, that nobody knows, and a, it's a, a toenail problem. And then we just say, be with them. Okay, again, I'm, I'm not trying to bash this. I'm just saying, we can spend an hour and a half talking about prayer requests, and then we don't pray. Or we just mostly pray. I just don't want them to have to go through this, and that's okay. I don't want them to suffer like this. But how about we begin to ask God to give us, he's given us vocab. This is a legitimate prayer for you to pray anytime for any believer. So I'm not asking that question to go, feel guilty, your prayers are so shallow. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's all grow in it. And will we pray like this for one another in this body? If we just throughout this year prayed this prayer for one another, this place would be rich with the life of God through his spirit, encouraging, bringing endurance, patience, comfort, encouragement, on and on and on. Well, why would we pray? Well, go back to the verse, uh, Paul's why is your why and mine. He says, for this reason, or some of yours says, for this cause, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray. What is Paul telling us? He's saying, he, 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 and, and then the rest of the letter is all about what Paul is about, which is why he's praying, the way he's praying, and for what he's praying. He's saying, I'm not just here to pray. Hey, these people I've heard about over there in Colossae, I hope they're doing well. He's saying, I know you got some stuff that's confusing, and I want you to not be confused and not be capsized and realize you're not lacking anything except for just the growth that he would intend. You have everything you need in the one who has made you complete in him, and he is completing you to become like him eventually. And so trust him and pursue him. His divine why he knows. That's why in chapter 2, verse 1, He'll say, I am suffering for you. I'm laboring for you. And he's speaking a prayer, not only for y'all, but for the people in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And then, so he says, this is what's driving me. The next slide, this is the key verse. He says, what I'm after here, we're going to proclaim Jesus. We're going to admonish everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom. So that, why? We may present everyone, there's a, here's the word again, complete in Christ. Fullness in Christ. Mature in Christ. Some of you say perfect. That, we're, we're not helped by how we think about perfect, but just think maturing in Christ. And he says, for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, not mine, which mightily works within me. This is also why, what Epaphras prays. Next slide. In chapter 4, Epaphras, we said last week, Paul helps him not be a tattletale by saying, hey, we thank God for all the, the great stuff Epaphras has told us about you. And he means it. It's genuine. But the, the picture here is actually of a wrestler, that Epaphras is grappling and wrestling on your behalf, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Why? That you may stand perfect, complete, not lacking, and fully assured, not knocked off kilter, not going, I don't really have what it takes. I'm not in the inside club. You are in Christ. He wants you to be fully assured of that. And then out of that, walk with the confidence of a son or daughter of the king. He says, I want you to be fully assured in all the will of God. And you think about Jesus himself. Not only is this Paul's cause, Paul's reason, Epaphras' reason, this is Jesus gave his life for this cause. He gave his life so that we might be redeemed out of slavery, not going back to Egypt like the students talked about, but to be redeemed because of his initiating work, his love, his grace, his mercy, not our merit. 
But he saved us, Paul would tell us in Ephesians, not just to have a ticket to heaven, but he saved us because he, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that we should, here's the word again, walk in them. And he, he ordained them beforehand that we should walk in them. But Jesus ultimately gave his life. He taught his disciples this prayer. Uh, next slide. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We sang this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he taught his disciples to pray when they're like, hey, we kind of just pray all over the place or we just pray our Jewish prayer. Like, how would you have us pray? And he says, well, here's a template. Let it, and, and I pray this often. Your kingdom come, your will be done on our little patches of earth as it is in heaven. In your little nook of the world as it is in heaven. The way it happens in heaven, God says something, they go do it. May that be true in my response time, Lord, on my little patches of earth. And then Jesus himself practiced this. What Paul is praying for some of them, they're going to go through great difficulty. And he wants them to so be about God's cause and so be about God's will and so be about walking in a manner worthy of him that they're willing to submit to his will even when it hurts. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Father, if you're willing, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. This cup is God's wrath being poured out on him because of our sin. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then lastly, Hebrews 12. We looked through this a few weeks ago. But simply, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of him, if we're going to walk as he walked, part of why I walk like, waddle like my dad is because I watched him walk. And my little, little tiny buddy brain didn't know it, but it was firing, going, well, this is how you walk. I'll just walk a little bit for you. See, it's not very attractive. But, but, I, but my eyes were fixed on my daddy, and I began to walk like him. And he's saying, we can run our race with endurance, staying at it, even though it's hard. And it's set before us. He set it before us. How can we do so? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. There it is again about him completing us. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We can fix our eyes on him in the midst. We can say, not my will, but yours be done. And we can say, Lord, what I want most of all is to walk in a manner worthy of you in this very excruciating or this very confusing time. Thank you that you're with me. Strengthen me for it. And may I glorify you in how I do so. I want to have you stand. Our benediction today is what we started with, what we preached on, what we tried to practice. And my encouragement is look back over this. Even try to memorize it. But don't worry if you don't memorize it. And maybe you just keep it handy. When someone says, hey, would you pray for me about this? I'm not really sure what to do. You don't have to get Sunday school on them. Well, I've been going through what, you know, just, just say, hey, let me, let, me, let me pray for you. Or text them, here's what I'm praying for you. All right? Let's, let's uh, bow your heads. Close your eyes. Father, I thank you for each person here, wherever their patch of earth has them going in just a minute. Whatever their week has for them, I pray, Lord, thanking you, first of all, if they've come to faith in Christ, that you have brought that about by your grace and mercy. But, Lord, for those who have done so, I pray that you would fill them with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that whatever is facing them, 
they're going to go home to, they're going to go to work and see or experience tomorrow, that they would walk in a manner worthy of you. They would please you in all respects. That in the process, Lord, you would bear spiritual fruit in every good work that you have for them, and that they would increase in their knowledge of you. But they can only do that, I can only do that, as you strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might, for steadfastness and patience to endure. And Lord, may our lives echo out and ripple out a thanks to you, our Heavenly Father, who's qualified us to be a part of all this. May your divine yes, your will, your call on our lives find its way in our walk this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.